welcome back to the Psalm 40 Project. I'm here with Reverend Yonker. We're going to be discussing his call story. And uh, Peter, you're actually going to be the last minister uh, for this particular part of the series. Before. That's what happens when you go on sabbatical. <laughs> it is. Yep. And so, uh, Peter, we're just going to, I just want to give you like a really basic, let's just yeah. start at this point. Yeah. Um, you've been doing ministry for a long time, professional what, ministry. 25 years, yeah. Um, what are some things that you just, you love about being a minister? Well, I love, there's lots of things. I mean, obviously I love preaching, but I think beneath all that, there's, when, when, you're, when you're in the church, when you're in ministry, when you're a preacher, you're always engaged with people at the, at the deepest part of their being. You're always wrestling with um, the things that most people uh, live with but carry just beneath the surface, those spiritual things, the deep things of God. That every human being, even those who pretend they have no religious impulse, I think it's always going on yeah, down there. there's something still there. So I get to think about that. I get to, to, um, to find words about that. I get to go to Scripture because I believe Scripture is God's Word that tells us the truth about that and think of ways to communicate it to people so that they understand that in that deep part God loves them and that they are part of God's story. And that's really, really exciting. It's really hard, but that's, that's what makes it fun. Easy things aren't so much fun. So uh, um, I, I love my job for that reason. Yeah, you get to see a, a different side of who people are. Yeah. You know, you don't let that deep spiritual stuff hang out on your sleeve right. um, on a regular basis. Right. No, it, most people walk around and um, sort of have found ways to to submerge that, to hold it underwater. Mm -hmm. And when you preach, I mean, when they come to church, they're obviously somewhat exposing them that part of themselves because that they, they, they're there in a place where they understand that we'll talk about spiritual things. Um, and they're obviously thirsty and hungry down in that spot, or they wouldn't be there. Yeah. But still, they, they can be quite guarded, and, and I, I try to pry open that spot. And it's not me, right? It's the Holy Spirit. Um, it's this strange dance between human effort and human craft and the overwhelming work of um, the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And uh, that's just endlessly fascinating and interesting and people are endlessly fascinating and interesting right mm -hmm. you're always doing with people and every human being is like a continent yeah <laughs> there's an infinite amount of stuff going on yeah. and and god is interested in every single part of it and um i feel called to try to help people sort out the continent of themselves yeah so maybe not thinking of like a particular moment but can you kind of talk about how that calling to this position uh sort of maybe started to Yes, to, you started to recognize it, or it yeah. started to. Well, let me. I'll I'll start at the beginning. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I think I maybe have told you this before. Maybe I haven't. Um, I, I I've I'm a little self conscious, or I have been self conscious about my call story and about my faith story. Uh, when I was in seminary, one of the assignments we had was to write our own story of conversion, our own story of our oh, walk okay. with God. And the idea was, and it's a good idea, that we would, we should all be able to, to walk up to a person who doesn't know Christ and say, here's what Christ has done for me and here's how he's worked in my life. Yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. so, which I totally agree with. That's uh, so I wrote, I wrote, here. that's right. <laughs> And so I wrote my story, and my story was essentially, you know, I was born to nice Christian Reformed parents. I lived in a, a good Christian Reformed house. 
Uh, my parents sat in the edge of my bed and prayed with me. I've always been part of the church. I went to a Christian school. I was surrounded by people who loved me. I love being part of my church. Um, when I went to high school, you know, I, I had a few, you know, days of doubt and uncertainty, and but I never really rebelled. I, you know, I got involved in my youth group. I was yeah. a leader in my youth group, and as I got into university, I felt like, you know, I love the church. Mm -hmm. I, this, 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 this has been such a nurturing thing for me. This has fed the deepest part of me that I was talking about yeah. earlier. And so I, I, I want to be part of it, and I, I would love to be a pastor and be able to, to help share that with other people. So I wrote, that, that was my, my faith story. And I got like a C on, on that story. Interesting. Yeah, because he said, you know, there's just no, there's no conflict. I mean, all my friends were writing stories like, yeah, I was on drugs in high school. My parents were divorced and, you know, I had a cataclysmic youth and I was at the bottom of the barrel when God came along and lifted me up. And, yeah. And that wasn't my story at all. And that's sort of the, the stereotypical yeah. way you hear call stories. Like you right. don't hear call stories like yours or even mine. Like mine's very similar to yours. Yeah. Um, you, those aren't the people who go out on stage and talk no. about this. At stuff. Christian High, if they ask someone to do a chapel, they don't ask someone to tell a story like mine. They'll yeah. find somebody who's been in prison or someone who's been through the the journey of addiction, and that's fine. Um, there's something wonderful about those stories, but there's also something wonderful about the ordinary covenantal love of God worked out through the body of Christ, that um, that nurtures a person like me. Yeah, and in some ways. In some in some areas, and not to say one's better than the other, but I think that the covenantal faithfulness needs to be told maybe stronger in our world because that doesn't happen that often. No, usually there is some sort of brokenness, and and something has caused the the brokenness of faith in God. So telling those stories of God's faithfulness, I would like to think that that communicating to this world where everything seems so up for grabs that here in the church we have through Jesus Christ this eternal hope that can't be shaken embodied in a community of grace people who look after each other who if you have tragedy in your life rush to your side mm -hmm. who if something great happens to, to you rejoice with you yeah. who ask after your children who learn your children's names who will spend time walking beside your children mm -hmm. so that it's not just you trying to help your kids figure out their lives. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's something to be celebrated. I mean, frankly, what we're always aiming for with our youth in the church is a story like mine. Yes. Right? We're not aiming for that 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 story of, of catastrophe that, mm -hmm. I mean, if it happens that way, praise God. But but most of what we want for our people and for ourselves and for is, you know, just that gentle, that constant, um, demonstration of God's covenantal love over time embodied in the church that, that, that raises faith in our youth. So, you know, I'm, in one sense, I suppose my story is, is a model story, but uh, to my son prof, it was, it, was, it was a C. It was a C. <laughs> it was a C. That's disappointing. It was like, very disappointing. You've said that you, know, you, were, you were just sort of raised up in the church. Yeah. Um, did, the, did your call to ministry, what did that look like kind of growing up and like, like I said, like you're not going to have, I don't think you have like one moment where you were just like, I got to be a pastor. But what did it look like sort of just growing up, well, um, I, going to college that kind of shaped that? I think, love? I mean, I think it started with that, that, that love for the church. It was the center of my family's community life. 
my parents were very involved in the church. We weren't just there on Sunday, we were there during the week as well. Yeah. Uh, as I said, involved in the Christian school. Um, and so I just, I loved this community and I loved the way that it loved me. Uh, so that was, so I, that's where, in, in my youth, uh, growing up in the Christian Reformed community, I, I just had this profoundly positive feeling of, of what the church meant. Even though there were difficult people in the church, um, I just thought it was a wonderful family. Mm -hmm. it, was my, it was my family. Um, and then as I got older, I, you know, I, had, I liked a lot of things in school. Uh, I just wasn't sure what to do. Um, but when I got involved in my youth group in high school, I found I really enjoyed leadership. I enjoyed okay. being involved in a big group of people and, and I didn't mind being out front. One time I did a, we did a, uh, we had a rally, like a, um, and a whole bunch of other youth groups for the weekend in our home church. And I was sort of in charge of that and I spent a lot of time out front, um, sort of uh, walking people through things. And that went really, really well. And I just loved it. I was exhausted afterwards, but I thought <laughs> that was so much fun. And it was, it was experiences like that that made me say, realize, you know what, you know who does that all the time? Pastors do that all the time. Yeah. Maybe that's what God's calling me to do. And I didn't have a sense of certainty with it. Um, I know some people that's their story, you know, that they have this moment and they just know. I have classmates that were like Yeah, that. I know. I, I, can't, I can't honestly say that was true, but I've, I certainly felt it. Mm. And then I think my discernment process was, okay, Lord, it, it, I think this is what you want, so I'm going to take another step. Um, and, and then, you know, it would go well, and I'd feel yeah. like, okay, I still feel this, and I'd take another step, and I'd take another step. And it honestly wasn't until I was most of the way through seminary that I could say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really wow. feel like this is happening. And so, that's, during, so during like undergrad and even like the decision to go to seminary were all sort of steps in, in trying to be faithful to this. Faithful to this calling, but, but if I'm honest, not completely sure. Yeah. I mean, there were days when I'd get up, I still remember sitting in Calvin's Chapel and watching um, uh, Dale Cooper or some other great minister preach and I'm thinking, I'm never going to be able to do that. Mm. Um, and then other days when I think I really want to do that. Yeah. So it, there's just that sort of ordinary human uncertainty. But this uncertainty was never apart from this sort of nagging sense that, no, you, this, is, this is where God wants you. Um, I remember, for instance, my first summer assignment. Um, I was in London, Ontario, and I was doing... Um, preaching twice I, uh, every Sunday. You know, I'd never done this before. I had yeah. like three sermons to my name and they, <laughs> it was a vacant church and they throw you out into this yeah. vacant church. It, yep, that's what happens. That's what happens. And the very first weekend, uh, a guy came to me, one of the elders of the church had me over and then at the end of our conversation, he's conf he starts talk telling me these profoundly broken parts of his family and he's hmm. in tears and I'm like, wow, this is, it was heavy right away, yeah. right? Because it was a vacant church. And, um, you know, so I left there and I felt like, okay, I gotta, on Sunday morning, I gotta say a word in my sermon that somehow helps someone like him, right? And so I, you know, I wrote my sermon all week and I got, on Sunday, on Saturday night I was practicing it and it just felt flat to me. It just felt no good at all. And I was actually in tears going, is this gonna be my whole life where I, I really, really want to speak to people, but I feel like my words are these, um, just inadequate, and I just thought I was. I would. I wondered maybe maybe this isn't the thing. Yeah. But the next day I got up there and I did it, 
and, and God used it. And I realized, you know, there's something here that's bigger than my human capacities. Um, so there are those moments of, of profound doubt, I think, along the way for all of us as we try to figure out who we are and what God wants from us. And, and part of the story is, is understanding that God is in those moments too. It's not just in your triumph, it's in, your, it's in the feelings of failure and uncertainty and knowing God mm-hmm. is in those moments too that, that end up becoming part of your call and part, part of my overall conviction of God's presence in my life. Yeah, I think that that's an important, uh, important side of it is that even if, even as you're going down this call, this journey God's got you on, it's not smooth sailing. Oh, it's man, not, no. you, you don't have a clear neon sign in front of you the entire way. And I, th- and I think that sometimes as we talk about call, at least in my experience, that's what it's been is that you will know where you're supposed yeah, to go and, and it's like and it's just going to be boom ba doom ba doom yeah. well and i don't the other reason i don't trust that i mean catechism makes it very clear what what is um what uh, what is true repentance it's, it's the coming to life of the new self and the dying away of the old self actually i think it's the dying away of the old self and the coming to life of the new self and and the catechism makes clear that that's a that's a constant journey the shape of God's way with us is an up and down shape. And so when I hear stories of people whose life is just a steady ascent of, of certainty and confidence, I'm, I, I'm always a little suspicious. I always feel like, ah, that's not the scriptural shape of things. Um, it's not what the catechism says, and it's not my experience. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I've, um, it's been this kind of a journey. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but. Uh, that's what God has promised for all of us, and, and so I'm confident of his presence in the middle of it all. So was there ever a, a time where you thought about maybe not being a preaching pastor, or you thought maybe uh, preaching wasn't necessarily the way you were gonna go? No, I, I think I always, I, always, I always held preaching at the center. I, I always wanted to be a preaching pastor. I'm not sure why that was. I think it was because I was an English major, and I just, I just loved, I just, I just loved, I loved sermons. I loved being in church listening to sermons, um, and and that. So I, I, I loved that so much that I, I always cons- that always was part of the picture for me. I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, you'd mentioned that you'd had good ministers, good preaching, yeah. to kind of look up to. Along the way, yeah. I mean, I I did. I mean, I think when I was really really young, I had sort of conventional Dutch preachers, and I just remember them as um, sort of uh, loud voices from the pulpit, and I didn't understand a word they were saying. (laughs) But when I was, I think it was about thirteen, and well, and the other thing about those preachers that always it seemed very removed to me. Um, There seemed to be a role they were playing. Um, Mm. They seemed. you know, a lot of the some of the adults I knew in my life seemed very normal, but the preacher seemed like this exalted creature, yeah, kind of up on a pedestal. Up on a pedestal. Um, but but when I when I was about thirteen, we got a uh, we uh, a guy named Herm Van Inhuis came to our church, and Herm was really down to earth and mm. just resolutely himself, and he was so that was important. That was one of the things God used in my life to point me towards ministry. Was I looked at Herm and I said, Oh wow. He's a minister, and he's normal, <laughs> and he's reaching people. Like he's reaching me. Yeah. I'm connecting with him. The way he is being is helping me to see God active in my life. And I said, 
I don't know if I want to be like that that other guy, that role playing yeah. sort of guy, but I wouldn't mind being a minister like that. Hmm. And that was always that was always part of I think what God gave me. Yeah, and I I think that yeah you've mentioned several things: the English major, yeah, the the realizing that there is you can play a role and that you can be right. uh, very authentic. And I mean I've heard you preach for almost six years now. Yeah, um, it's and, a long and time. that's and that's what I see. That's right. Um, and I and I think that that's why people connect well with you. I'm, I'm, I hope so. I mean, I, I that's certainly what I'm. I'm just trying to be myself up there and and give to the congregation what I've found after a week of looking. Well, changing gears a sure. little bit. Uh, how did you come to Lagrave? What was that sort of process? I know that you uh, you've been in ministry for 25 years, right. but only six here, so right. they're 19 years. Right. Well, I was, um, I got a call to uh, Woodlawn right out yep. of seminary, and I was called as a minister of youth and education, and serving there, I was the second minister. The other minister was John Timmer, and John Timmer mm. was a well-known, brilliant preacher. Uh, he was in his 60s then, and so it was a great arrangement for me because I, for the first two years of my ministry, I, I preached once a month. I worked with the youth and with the education, and I, I got to make, it was like an apprenticeship. I got to make my mistakes in the background, and then every day I was watching him, and we'd talk, yeah. and I'd learn from him. John retired, and um, we weren't sure how that was going to go at Woodlawn. At first, they tried to call some ministers just to replace John, and eventually they decided to go to a team ministry, and so it was me and Mike Abma, and we did that for 15 years, and that was great. But after uh, 20 years at Woodlawn, um, things are going well. Mike and I had a great ministry, but a lot of the challenges, the things that we wanted to accomplish, we, we'd, we'd accomplished. Okay. And, and I could have kept doing that and loving it, but I sort of felt like I, that God had something else, another challenge for me. And then Steve Schroeder called me up and mentioned that, um, you know, would I consider letting my name stand or, or being, con would I consider being considered by LaGrave? Uh, that, that call came right about the same time and I said, okay. Yep. And I started into conversations. And you know, this is this has been a challenge. It continues, it's a big it's a church. It's a completely different world. It's a completely different world. Um, my job is harder than it was. But that's that's what I wanted, and I'm 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 100% convinced that this was the right thing to do, and I'm in the right place, and um, which doesn't mean that I'm not sort of uh, uncertain and terrified sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I'm afraid to admit that, um, but I'm excited about being with the grave people and and discerning together what what God wants us to do. I feel like the the fruit is starting to be born, and uh, I love my colleagues, and, and I'm quite confident that, that God is with us and he's, he's taken us somewhere. Yeah. You mentioned that there are times where your job is hard. Yeah. Um, to kind of combat the idea that ministers work once a week. Yeah. Uh, what, like, Does what? anyone really believe that? <laughs> um, what, what are some hardships? Um, when it comes to your role here at the church, or difficulties, or you know, well, I mean, I think a hardship is just the overwhelm. When you get this many people, the overwhelming weight of human need that you is concentrated yeah. in, in one church. Uh, 
When you take just the needs of the people of LaGrave, family struggles, health struggles, um, personal struggles, combine that with the needs of the community. I mean, we literally, we every day, yep. we, 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 those, those needs, those troubles are right there in front of us. And, you know, LaGrave is a well-resourced church, but it's, it's pretty clear that our resources are nothing compared to the need yeah. of our members and of the community. Mm-hmm. And so there's always that, that question of how do we prioritize Lord, how can I take? How can we together take these resources, that, these great blessings you've given us, and and be a sign of your kingdom and a sign of your hope and a ministers of your gospel to each other and, and to our neighbors? Um, that's that's really challenging. And you know, there's in this day and age, I think especially, there's just people are um, more opposed to one another. You know, there's just bigger divides in our society yeah. than there ever has been. And we are a community as a church that is about breaking down divisions and bringing all things together in Christ. So the divisions of our world and the loneliness of our world present a special challenge to ministry in in today's age. When you're preparing your sermon, uh, are you thinking about like broad scope need or do you sometimes like just kind of focus in and, and and maybe realize like this sermon may not speak to no sermon can speak to everybody but but I mean you got to do both right I mean it's always broad right you're always you're there's always some point in a sermon where you're looking at the big picture how does this fit with the soul sweep of redemptive history this passage what is it saying about God's broad work in the world making all things new so you ask that question but it's got to go down into specifics if I have a sermon where at least some of the people in the congregation I can't Imagine how that is speaking right to the need they have now. Then that's not a very good sermon. Yeah. Now I can't speak to everybody's needs because the needs are so diverse. It's not possible. Not possible. But it ought to. It ought to get down to. It can't just be the cosmic universal needs. It has to be the kitchen table needs of people. So the needs that they feel in the small intimate places of their life. The need that they feel when they're alone in the living room early in the morning and just wrestling with the stuff of their life and feeling anxious. It's got to, the gospel's got to get down into that moment for people. And I think the hope would be also that maybe it doesn't reach you today on this Sunday you're hearing it, but maybe in two weeks or maybe in a month that that the hope can still be there and you can re- kind of remember, recall what was. Yeah, I mean, that's why we plan sermon series is that we try to we try to balance that, right? Yeah. So it's not always, you know, you know um, talking about one kind, you know, the loss, say. We're not always speaking to death and, and loss. Sometimes we're speaking to other kinds of needs. Um, so you try to, you try to balance the, the yeah. whole, all the needs of the people. So we kind of talked about the things you like about being a pastor. Yeah. Um, and we talked about sort of the hardships of your role. Are there other areas you've maybe thought of that bring a lot of joy, um, bring a lot of excitement to you in your role, especially thinking about here at LaGrave? Yeah, I mean, it's fun to be with people. I love <laughs> being with people. It's, uh, it, it's, it's great to be part of a church family. And, and you hear me say that, and that's not just me. That's, I, think, I think other LaGrave people own that as well. So, you know, I loved... Um, those sort of church family moments, whether it's like a, um, the beach day that we just had 
uh, yeah. last weekend. We're making a sandcastle and kids are coming up and we're talking to them. Mm-hmm. Or whether it's the church picnic and you're in the dunk tank and kids <laughs> are running around and then you're, you know, you're playing cornhole with someone. Um, yeah, you don't get to play cornhole too long because everyone wants to dunk. Everybody you. wants everybody <laughs> wants a preacher in the dunk tank. It's, it's, it's an <laughs> occupational hazard. But, you know, and the kids are lining up and you're talking to the kids as they're trying to knock you in the water and you're giving them grief. And, yeah. and you know, that I love that sort of, um, we're all, of connection time where the, where the tissues of, of our ordinary human connection are being built and we're becoming a church family. I, I don't ever want LaGrave to be and I think the great people all feel this way, a, a place where you just come on Sunday and have fabulous organ playing and fabulous singing and, you know, a pretty good sermon. I, and then you go home and you don't see each other ever again or much think about each other except until you come back to worship the next week. I just, I don't think that's the gospel's vision of the body of Christ. It's something, you know, it's something more like what you see at the first chapters of Acts where all the people were together and they shared all things in common and they broke bread and they, they listened to the teaching of the apostles, that there was there was this robust community. And it's not going to look exactly like Acts 2. We got 1,800 people. <laughs> but some, but some contemporary yep. version of that, yeah. right? Where there were those same values, those same well, you um, can do intimacies. Yeah, right. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be all 1,800 people gathered in somebody's no. living room but it could be 10. But there should be somebody, you should feel like you can share yourself with someone and someone knows your stuff and cares about it. Yeah. Yeah. One second. I'm going to double check this camera. It runs for about 30 minutes. What have we had here? Uh, We're uh, we're like roughly right around 25. All right. So I'm just going to real quick uh, start this one over just to make sure we got plenty of room. That sounds awesome. Yes, I, I, that's the ideal. I and, and I and I've seen that, and I think people, um, for the most part, I think people get that feeling, um, especially with like even within committee meetings. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting, the friendships that come out of business esque. Yeah, meetings. working together, working together in Christ. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's the. It's part of the picture of how this fabric of community is knit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, thinking about sort of the future ministry here at LaGrave, your future ministry here at LaGrave, what are things that excite you about the future, about um, what, what LaGrave is doing and is capable of doing? I think we're very blessed to have the resources we have. I think we're very. Um, you know, the, some of the things that excite me are the same things that terrify me. Um, That's probably healthy. Yeah, I, uh, terrify is maybe too strong a word, but worry me. The things that the things that I worry about. So, I mean, the 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 uh, Seventh Day Adventist Church purchase. That's exciting. I I think there's possible. It will force us to wrestle with who we are and who God is calling us to be. And there are some great possibilities of things we can do in that space that will grow our community and that will grow our ability to be a gospel community for our neighbors. And I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but I'm really excited that that we have the opportunity, and and I think it's good that we're going to be forced to think about those things. And I'm worried about it because I know that there's going to be differences of opinion, but I feel like if we're a good community and a healthy community that we will end up coming around something and saying, yeah, let's do this. And I think healthy growth 
is going to take a little bit there's going to be a little bit of friction like if you think about yeah. like as the human body grows yeah. you have growing pains right and it's and you said it it's going to make us look at who we are and 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 really challenge us to say you say you're these things yeah well there's a prime opportunity yeah. sitting there to to make sure that you really are those things it's it's interesting communities healthy communities and i saw this um at my previous church too i think i can say this you know when i first came to woodlawn i think woodlawn was a church that was had very low conflict and it's you know almost every vote at every council meeting was unanimous mm. and that sounds good but i'm not sure it's good for a community yeah. over the long haul a healthy community has a has just the right level of conflict. If, if you're never having any conflicts, you're probably not engaging um, mm. evil. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I, you know, that that's that's, that's a tricky line because it's, of course, if you if you can over, you can take on too much, and then the conflict tears you apart. But I, I think Lagrave is a good example of a community that's taken on some conflict, um, but still has that underlying stability. Um, uh, and so it's a sign that we're moving forward, you know, dying to the old self, rising to the new self. That's mm -hmm. a process. It's got to go on the whole of your life for individuals. It's got to go on the whole of your life for churches. Um, if you're only feeling like, yeah, I'm living the new life, then, then you're probably um, a little bit self-deceived about some of the blind spots that you have. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is exciting. I think, and I, I want to say almost everybody has been excited for the SDA purchase yeah. and I and, and I, almost everybody's been a little worried and, too right well, I mean the same dynamic yes and 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 everyone's had different ideas of what well, we that, could do with it that is um, a true word and I look forward to the next I mean next year yeah it's just I'm just gonna put a time frame on yeah, it it's hard to tell it's uh, it's it, we're going slow and I think that's a good thing yeah and I and I think that there will come a time where we get to discuss what really is gonna go and I'm excited yeah. for that yep and I look forward to sitting in that meeting of the when congregation. We, when we finally... <laughs> because and I, because I think that uh, we will be able to come up with some sort of unified vision. Maybe yep. not ever, not, it's, I mean, hopefully no. it's not 100% no, but, unanimous. But, but again, we, with a church this size, we're always going to have differing opinions. Yeah. Um, but I think we can move forward with, yep. with God pushing us, leading us in the right direction. Um, so, Peter, is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we that I haven't asked you about, or nothing I can think of? Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I just uh, I want to I want to get that. I want to give no. you that space just yeah. in case uh, I, in case yeah. I didn't ask a correct question. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much for your right. time. I really appreciate you coming on here, and I'm sure people are really looking forward to to hearing what you have to say. So, thanks, Jonah. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.